Hey everybody, I'm Ronnie. And I'm Savant and welcome to yet another episode of Surface Scratchers. The show where we make an attempt to teach you a little something new, give you a little bit of width in your information. Uh, maybe not go to the depth cuz we may not know it either, but we'll definitely scratch the surface and hope you learn something new. On today's episode, we look at battles and wars. um few that you know you may not have heard of in in popular uh, culture anyway the first one we'll talk about is one from india so savant as we always do top battles that come to mind names of battles that come to mind when you think of indian history names i can tell you don't ask me further question battle of panipat okay there were three battles of panipat yeah. battle of panipat 1 2 and 3 very good uh, the 1857 uprising very good uh battle of plase i'm very pretty good. sure there are two of those as well uh the battle of baksar i know because i just read anarchy oh wonderful wonderful so yeah of course uh, the the top 5 that even i've got that uh, asked a few people they mentioned panipat one way or the other plase and baksar again were very very popular and all of these were very important battles as well the first battle of panipat was the uh, battle where babar defeated ibrahim lodi and started mm-hmm. mughal rule in india the second one is when akbar took back mughal rule uh, took back the country from hemu battle of plassey was again very very important that is how yeah. the east india companies uh, got a foothold in uh, in the bengal region but again all of these had maybe you know two forces or three forces from different uh, parts of the country fighting over something and yeah of course they 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 were momentous and did leave behind you know uh, a pretty big legacy and impacted the course of history in the country but one such battle which is not so much in the popular culture or popular domain that people don't know about is the battle of diu or diu sorry oh okay yeah so the battle of diu had the portuguese were on one side on the other side fighting the portuguese were the indian rulers of calicut and gujarat and there were people from egypt the ottoman empire that's in turkey venetian traders and croatian merchants as well from dalmatia What? so a little bit of um, history on on this um so how it came about is is again very very interesting um so the trade from india was again controlled by you know say merchants from gujarat and uh, kerala and largely muslim merchants as well and they would supply spices textiles and things like that to traders in yemen <clears throat> these yemeni traders would take all of this stuff sell it in alexandria on the mediterranean coast of egypt mm-hmm. venetians would pick it up from alexandria sell it in venice and people from europe would pick it up from venice and sell it in say portugal or spain or whatever so you can imagine that there these products were changing hands some three or four different times and there, there's some uh, numbers that i got so 
I think some amount of pepper or something was sold for was bought for five units of currency from Calicut, sold in Egypt for twenty five units. So prices increased five times. Sold in Venice for fifty six units, doubling again. Wow. And sold in Portugal at eighty units. So this is one of the reasons why Vasco da Gama left Portugal uh, to come and you know directly try and see if he can get this stuff from India. So in the year fourteen ninety eight, Vasco da Gama arrives in Calicut. One constant fill in the blank in every history exam paper. <laughs> in dash Vasco da Gama reads the port of Calicut. Correct. Fourteen ninety eight. Correct. And uh, initially, I think things go pretty well. But then the traders get wind of you know what could potentially be the you know future for them if Portugal directly purchases spices and goes to Portugal and sells it to them. Mm. And they had a fight or something like that. Vasco da Gama was expelled from Calicut. He made friends with the Raja of Cochin. Cochin and Calicut were uh, enemies at that time. And and then yeah the portuguese start getting spices and bypassing this yemen suez canal trade route they go around africa around the cape of good hope and start selling spices in portugal so these venetians who purchase the spices from alexandria get pissed off the egyptian sultanate the king of egypt at that time his only source of revenue was this trade i think some gst type tax that he was levying <laughs> at the port of alexandria he realized if the portuguese portuguese start doing this his empire is going to shut shop so these guys then hatch a plan the so the the name of the emperor i wouldn't know but the dynasty controlling egypt at that time was the mamluk dynasty and mamluk is mamluk is slave dynasty essentially so we had a mamluk dynasty in india as well because these mm. were slaves that rose up the ranks and became emperors and kings so the mamluks go and appeal to um, the ottoman king saying that you know we're going to get screwed pretty soon if the portuguese keep this up and within i think 10 years of vasco da gama's arrival by 1507 mm. there's a small alliance that is formed so the uh, ottoman king gives the mamluk dynasty some ships and some greek soldiers etc to fight against the portuguese venetian shipwrights the guys who make the ships of course back then the suez canal did not exist so they disassembled the ship on one side of the mediterranean okay and assembled it back again on the other side of the wow. mediterranean near the red sea so this you know bunch of ships this flotilla of ships now leave uh, the red sea and make for india so the guy in control of this uh, navy coming from arabia is this guy called hussein so they reach uh, they reach diu and the chap in charge over there is again under the gujarati sultanate the the sultan over there appoints a governor called malik malik is apparently some slave again who's from croatia malik is a slave ha malik is a slave who's appointed as governor and by slave don't don't think of slave as you know uh, the egyptian pyramid building slave this guy was a slave and rose up the ranks and became a very important guy 
he's again probably of georgian or you know croatian descent over here so white guy oh. slave governor of dio so these guys again join forces and um, uh, go and you know fight the portuguese in a battle in 1508 just south of alibag in this place called chol oh yeah you know chol uh, you would have heard of it yeah so the guy in charge of the portuguese navy at that time was the son of uh the viceroy of Port- uh, of india portuguese viceroy of india and the sons killed once the viceroy got to know that his sons been killed this guy gets very very depressed and sad but then suddenly goes full liam neeson mode and says i'm going to get proper revenge on you and then takes his ships and heads towards the you what wow. what unfortunately happened the portuguese were hoping that they would defeat uh, sorry the Uh, the alliance of you know malik and hussein were hoping that they would defeat the portuguese at chol and head to kochi and then you know annihilate the portuguese totally from india but their losses were so high at chol that you know they couldn't further go on to kochi they went to diu to you know recuperate and you know repair their ships or whatever our man the governor whose name was francisco de almeida leaves kochi and starts uh you know as amasses a bunch of ships heads towards uh this alliance navy he uh, stops somewhere at uh, dabol for some minor uh, this one but some residents of dabol happen to kill a few portuguese guys this guy in full revenge rage mode kills everyone in dabol kills even wow. the cattle and the street dogs in dabol and properly enraged goes to reaches mahim in mumbai Mahim, everybody is deserted. It's empty because you know. I guess the story of his revenge and rage are uh, spreading like wildfire. And by the time he reaches Mahim, the uh, white guy governor of Diu, Malik, sends him a letter saying that you know we've got your prisoners of war from the Chol battle. We're treating them well. You don't need to worry too much. Chill, karo, thoda sa. And this guy, in very very polite language, says, "I'll just quote him here." i come with hope in god of heaven to take revenge on them and those who assist them and if i don't find them i will take your city to pay for everything and you for the help you have done at chol so he was ref- the them over here are the people who were instigators at chol uh, slowly he reaches the you and there's there's a huge battle that ensues and a very strategic battle the portuguese are again naval masters so they know how to handle naval warfare the other chaps again aren't really as good as the portuguese were so they tie their ships to the harbor almost and just wait okay. in you know a defensive position so they gave up the initiative over here they couldn't attack first they they just set up fort and said okay you guys throw whatever you have at us and then you know we'll we'll see what can happen but interestingly over here our friends malik and hussein aren't really very you know pally with each other poor guy uh, uh, hussein doesn't have money to pay his soldiers and all so he had to sell stuff to malik get money and pay his soldiers although these guys are all fighting on the same side these guys don't trust each other uh, the governor of diu malik is under the command of the gujarati uh, sultan he realizes that you know if he 
the the larger benefit of view is probably in you know allying with the portuguese because trade will increase and all of that but he can't ally with the portuguese because then the gujarati sultanate sultan will come in whoop him similarly over here uh, our friend hussein realizes that if he gets into battle he's going to get his ass kicked but if he goes okay. back to egypt the egyptian sultan is going to get him whoop him as well so these guys are all in a bind having to sell stuff to each other to make uh, salary payments to their soldiers and of course the portuguese come in really you know uh, kick their ass and very very strategically positioned ships and you know attack formations etc one thing that again i read over here is that when the ships of the portuguese would fire cannons they uh-huh. did it in such a way that you know the cannonball wouldn't just loop in a parabola and land on the enemy ship but they would fire it at a low angle on the water and the cannonballs would skip on the water like how you would skip stones uh, on a on a lake or a pond and then go hit the ship on the uh, just above the light, water line or just below the water line causing it to sink the portuguese extremely oh. smart fellows um, really you know whooped uh, the collective butts of the gujaratis the zamorin of calicut the egyptians the ottomans and the venetians and there there's one quote uh, that i'd like to quote on the legacy of this this battle when the 15th century began islam seemed to seemed about ready to dominate the world that ah. prospect sank in the indian ocean of the oh so this very famous guy I forgot who it was that quoted this so Could if it wasn't for this maybe european superiority in india may not have been as uh, you know easy for for maybe then the french and the british to come and you know set up fort over here oh wow and that that is how the start of european supremacy over the indian ocean came about with this small battle that is sometimes or mostly not spoken about or people are un- unaware about and that's the battle of the wow. so clearly two things happened for the first time here <laughs> one is european supremacy over the indian ocean and second is the first and only time that mahim was deserted <laughs> man if you see mahim today <laughs> it's anything but it's so sad that there are no remnants of the mahim fort at all i mean there are but it's just not preserved yeah it's it's quite sad yeah, there Bangra are fort, there are a lot of these portuguese forts that dot the west coast for example i think yeah like chaul some... for example right yeah. i'm pretty sure there is a chaul there is there is yeah. Yeah, yeah. was i dew uh, maybe it'd be it'd be fun to visit dew Uh, I'm pretty sure it's just you know thronged by gujjus who want to drink alcohol, <laughs> but uh, maybe we should plan a trip there. Yep. So that's the first part of the episode. Okay. Uh, well, that was really really interesting, Ron. So let's transition from an ancient battle, uh, the Battle of Dew, to the most recent concluded war. Uh, Ron, do you know which one that would be? No man, I don't have a tracker of wars that are ongoing and then tick them off as they conclude. But I, but I hear there are a lot of wars which people don't forget to sign off uh, on treaties with, and by mistake, you know, wars have been continuing for two hundred years. Although 
hostilities have stopped <laughs> just because they didn't yeah. figure find yeah, time even to sign even the war treaties. that i'm going to discuss hasn't really stopped it's just ceasefired uh, in november 2020 mm-hmm. i mean there's a war on a virus going on and it's so it's almost sad to see how many wars are still going on in the world and how covid is just taking a back seat when all this is happening but anyway so today i am going to cover the azerbaijan and armenian conflict or the nagorno karabakh war which recently concluded with azerbaijan uh, emerging easily victorious and i'll cover why that was historic and in itself in in modern warfare uh so just for our listeners uh, if you guys wouldn't have heard of this area called nagorno karabakh uh, let me just give you a geographic sense of where this would be lying and and why it's so important so azerbaijan and armenia uh, lie in this trans caucasian or the caucasus mountain area uh, which is uh, between russia iran and turkey so georgia armenia azerbaijan and the south of russia form this cluster called the caucasians uh, so so azerbaijan and armenia have uh, like Ar- armenia lies to the west of azerbaijan Azer- and both of them are you know absolutely north of iran so if if you can imagine the geography maybe i'll continue to the west of armenia lies turkey uh, and they are surrounded by uh, the black sea okay So, so you have Black Sea uh, on one side and the Caspian Sea in the on the other Caspian side. Caspian Sea on the other side. So Caspian Sea hugs Azerbaijan, uh, and obviously Black Sea is on Georgia and Turkey side. Uh, right. So Armenia and Azerbaijan are enemies to say the least. Uh, and why I say enemies is because uh, their residents genuinely hate each other. Uh, it's not their fault. Propaganda has always edited their history books, and they grow up. learning to hate each other mm-hmm. and it it dates back many many centuries but the more recent history has aggravated the enmity between them so why this is interesting this war is it's a territorial dispute it's also an ethnic dispute it also is a religious dispute and of course a geopolitical dispute so every reason for war is covered in this one conflict which is which is very very interesting So what happened is, as you would know, everything was the Russian Empire, the Tsarist rule. In 1918, 1920, when the Tsarist Russian Empire collapsed and the USSR was formed, these two parties or regions were recognized as uh, Soviet Social Republic. So there was the Armenian SSR and the Azerbaijan SSR. Uh, the moment they recognized their independence, immediately they started being at loggerheads because they're ethnically very different. So just for context, Azerbaijan are ethnically Turkic, uh, and Armenians are their own, like the Caucasian. By the way, uh, the Armenian script you guys should check it out uh, on Google. It's a beautiful script. Looks a little bit like the LOTR script. Uh, Ron, you can Google it as we speak. It's a. It's if ever you get a tattoo, I suggest you get a tattoo in in the Armenian script. It just looks very very graceful. Okay, coming back. So in 1918, these socialist uh, state republics were formed. They were at loggerheads because they're so ethnically dif- uh, different. Uh, but what happened is within Azerbaijan, there is an enclave, like a subsumed region called Nagorno-Karabakh. Okay, uh, very similar to Kashmir, but I don't want to draw parallels because that could get us in trouble. But uh, this region subsumed in Azerbaijan, called Nagorno-Karabakh, is ethnically armenian so think about one whole muslim country ethnically turkic country uske andar ek circle of ethnically armenians 
the the the, the soviets didn't give a damn and they just you know carved out a map and said ki pura azerbaijan mm-hmm. since then armenia has wanted control over nagorno karabakh uh, because they're ethnically armenian even though it's subsumed in azerbaijan and that's the history of their relationship again you know what's cool so it's called karabakh karabakh literally in their language is known as a black meadow or a black garden why uh, black and what is black in hindi kala bag oh wow yeah and therefore persian yeah so kala bag is now karabakh uh, so yeah so cut to 1980s and the soviet and by the way this animosity is there uh, super super lot of skirmishes through the 1900s at the end of the 1980s the soviet republic is crumbling mm-hmm. uh, that's when uh, uh, what happened is uh, nagorno karabakh's regional parliament officially voted to become a part of armenia azerbaijan okay. you know sought to sep- suppress the separatist movement and armenia backed it this led to ethnic clashes and after armenia and azerbaijan declared independence from moscow which was in around 1992 there was a full scale war so soviet republic crumbled these guys suddenly become independent republics and are at it you know our armenia has single agenda jaake karabakh ko apna bana do so right. tens and thousands of people died and up to like a lot were mispla- displaced uh, and there are a lot of reports of you know ethnic cleansing and skirmishes and massacres on both sides uh, but unfortunately at the end you know around 1994 what happened is most of the people who were displaced were azerbaijani so the azeri people were really really infuriated ki we were defeated by the armenians then the armenian forces gained control of this circle called nagorno karabakh and the areas adjacent to it So which would have Russia, been Azerbaijani territory, proper yeah, Azerbaijani was, territory. It was proper course. Azerbaijani, almost like the bridge between Armenia right. and Nagorno-Karabakh. That also they occupied and say, "Hamara." Russia entered and brokered a ceasefire uh, uh, in 1994. After that deal, Nagorno-Karabakh remained a part of Azerbaijan, but was governed by a self-declared republic of ethnically okay. Armenians. Okay, Armenia obviously didn't like it because they wanted it to be one, but they were okay because at least. Armenians were running that uh, that that part of that that declared republic. Mm-hmm. 1994 to now, constant skirmishes, constant ceasefire violations. History textbooks edited every other year, and people just hate each other. Like you ask a normal Armenian guy like you and me, he will for sure despise that country. So cut to 2018, and something very cool happened in Armenia. You know, both these. powers were kind of dictatorial uh, even though they are republic but armenia underwent this beautiful peaceful revolution and they swept this long time ruler called uh, serge sargsyan from power uh, mm-hmm. and uh, this opposition leader called nikol pashinyan became the prime minister uh, and genuinely armenia felt like a democracy pashinyan came and 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 committed to azerbaijan's president ilham aliyev like you know let's de escalate tensions and let's like like set up a military hotline between the two maybe this could be the start of something beautiful this is 2018 2018 cut to 2019 thoda sa power mein aa gaya blood boil ho gaya pashnian bhai he goes uh, to arth like artsakh which is the armenian word for nagorno karabakh only and to the capital uh, stepanakret in stepanakret he announces publicly ki artsakh brackets nagorno karabakh is armenia full stop Okay, this completely angered Azerbaijan as it is. They hated Armenians, 
and uh, president aliyev was like this is this is not done mm-hmm. this was the fuel to the 2020 war although what happened in 2020 na no one really knows what was the trigger there were a, it was a it was like a collection of armenians attacking azerbaijanis in azerbaijani territory and azerbaijanis attacking ethnically armenians in nagorno karabakh some trigger just escalated and full scale war happened uh, uh, in now november and 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 also october november basically of last year 2020 2020 okay it ended uh, initially so in 1994 as i mentioned armenia very comfortably won the war armenians are excellent at on land uh, military so they are adept at making trenches they are very good with tank warfare uh, and they've been trained by the soviets so they are very very good at on land uh, uh, militia but what happened here was and i, I that's where i'll get the geopolitical angle Azerbaijan literally won the war in three weeks because of drones. Air power, or oh, drones, okay? Yeah. Not just air power. Air power is easy to to you know you know almost defend because that's the training has been there for many years. But this is the first time and possibly the first war won easily because of drones. Many of them were AI built. Let me guess. Uh, now. Azerbaijanis don't make drones themselves. Somebody must have given it to them. Correct. any guesses who common enemy they <laughs> don't have me the usa <laughs> so so surprisingly this is one or something this is one conflict run where the usa is not involved <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah so you're right it is turkey uh, and uh, something happened between 1994 and now which is uh, Turkey and Azerbaijan became closer as allies. Okay, mm-hmm. it let's roll back the years. Uh, there was something called the Armenian genocide, extremely sad, uh, you know, uh, genocide in history where a million ethnic Armenians in Turkey were killed by the Ottomans. So in the first war, the first world war, the Ottomans were just getting shoved out of Europe. So they so they refocused their efforts eastwards, went uh, towards East Anatolia. and all the ethnic assyrians greeks and armenians unfortunately bore the brunt of it 1 million of them were we should do another ep- an entire episode on this perhaps on the armenian genocide or maybe on genocides in general uh so armenians as it is hate the turkish people for what they have done the turks including president erdogan they don't recognize the armenian genocide as an act conducted by the ottomans they just don't recognize it imagine dude like if the holocaust was just not recognized by modern day germany and no one really talks about it so uh, in turkey's head they didn't do this genocide in armenia's head obviously they did uh, animosity between the two has been historic uh, also turkey turkic islamic erdogan very islamic Azerbaijan also speaks similar language, also Turkic, also Islamic. Uh, Heather Aliyev, uh, who was this guy's, this current Aliyev's father, he said that you know Azerbaijan and Turkey are one state. Uh, what he said, uh, two brothers, one state, or something like mm-hmm. that. Some very famous thing that the Azerbaijanis really resonated with. So they've they've really grown in brotherhood. Have Turkey and Azerbaijan. In the meantime, what happened between '94 and now is oil and gas. exploded suddenly azerbaijan got richer 
they spent a huge chunk of their uh, by the way 90% of their exports is oil and gas okay. a huge chunk of that is is spent in in building up their defense mm-hmm. uh, a lot of it was drones bought from turkey and israel apparently All but right. uh, that's how they silently became militarily very strong mm-hmm. behind armenia's back uh, turkey so this whole war apparently was strategized between baku and ankara the capitals of the two and the drones were provided the rest is history uh turkey also took an added active interest in this war because of their growing geopolitical influence turkey and russia forever have been enemies mm-hmm. uh and you know what's happening in syria turkey is now slowly slowly going southwards and occupying belts of syria and they're right. almost uh, uh you know they also want to you know suppress the kurdish movement that's happening in the east of turkey they are also in libya and supporting the libyan government uh, because there is a channel between turkey and libya that has a lot of natural gas right so this there's is missing some... of russia right and there's some pipeline or something that they want to lay in the mediterranean or something yeah, like that sort yeah and and if you know ron like uh, russia basically provides gas to all of europe right so russia sees this as a huge threat because azerbaijan has gas turkey and azerbaijan are brothers if a pipeline goes via turkey and turkey also gets natural natural gas from libya Europe can start getting gas from them, and their influence on Europe can get screwed. So uh, Russia has always been very, very close to Armenia, but also not against Azerbaijan. Uh, uh, so it's critical that Russia brokers this ceasefire also. And in in November 2020, Russia came in and set up peacekeeping forces and brokered this. after this, the drone attacks and all after the drone attacks etc etc so azerbaijan got a huge chunk of what they lost in 1994 back and uh, and i'm guessing nagorno karabakh still uh, the fate of it is to be decided the ceasefire doesn't really cover what's going to happen to that what has happened unfortunately is armenians have suffered a blow that they haven't seen in decades there is a massive anarchy going in that country right now ki how can the government let this go imagine almost india losing a part of uh, kashmir so like very unforgiving uh, populace against the current government so armenia is in turmoil i don't think at least reports say they won't recover for the next decade it seems oh, and, wow. and after that beautiful arc of you know overthrowing that dictator parliamentary yeah, elections unfortunately this has happened uh but you know and armenia too small a country to have a global influence now they've tried their best so kim kardashian apparently is ethnically armenian third generation fourth generation she spoken out against it mm-hmm. uh so has uh, hendrik mikitaryan one of the famous footballers but unfortunately they've not got the us support or or the uk or the france or nato in general and turkey is a part of nato so they can't even do much <laughs> uh poor guys are in turmoil right now and azerbaijan emerged victorious so more to be seen definitely ceasefire to ho gaya but the the hatred and the and 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 is only going to escalate uh, the conflict is only going to escalate and manifest its way itself in in ways we can't imagine so and, and the yeah. full impact of this will only be seen in you know the years and decades to come yeah absolutely absolutely so that was it that was the latest battle that was fought in this world hopefully not too many more to come oh by the way by the way by the way fun facts uh, armenians have had uh, very close relations with india in the 16th century a lot of the traders used to come to india so right, where right, i stay right. 
in Vadala, right next to it, there is a Armenian cemetery. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so there's uh, also an Armenian church in in Fort. There are there. Calcutta has a not sizable now. There are some thousand two thousand Armenians, but they have a proper Armenian population also. Right, and and they were they were traders essentially, I think, and they were yeah. present in in the Mughal court, and I don't know if it was who was that ambassador from King James who visited uh, Jahangir's court. I, know, I think Thomas Rowe or something, Sir Thomas Rowe. He came to India and was given an Armenian wife to take back to the UK <laughs> by <laughs> by by the Mughal emperor. I I don't know if the emperor was Jahangir, but there was an Englishman who was given an Armenian wife and. Uh, sent back to the UK as gift or something of that sort. So India has close ties with Armenia that way, at least old trade ties. Pakistan is a huge Azerbaijan-Turkey supporter, so oh, okay. there is some some geopolitics but, at that but, level. But uh, India's stand on this, like on on the geopolitical uh, stage, has not been made. No, not at all. Not at all. Right. With that, cool. we come to the end of this episode of Surface Scratchers. Thank you for listening in, dear listeners, and hope you learned something new and if you want to learn more do go scratch the surface a little deeper by yourselves (laughs) thank you bye